one and we are recording with the one and only mr peter dale scott and of course george webb but he's been on here a million times so he's old news by now and uh george is a bigger fan of uh mr scott than i am but mr scott for all the new listeners please introduce yourself i'm glad to be here and uh George, when did you first uh, when when did you first become a fan of uh, of Peter? Uh, about six years ago, uh, I had a conversation with Seymour uh, Hirsch, and I was doing a lot of stuff, um, research, reading books like uh, Peter Dale Scott's uh, Drugs and War book. Uh, and he said, you know, if you want to be an author, you got to go on the road and you got to research and uh, put together just like Peter Dale Scott did, <laughs> you know, you're never going to get Peter Dale. My name. Uh, he, he, he mentioned uh, two, two people. I kind of based my work on was your work and uh, William Engdahl uh-huh. uh, as sort of like a found laying a foundation. So Seymour C- Hirsch basically said, you need to go on the road. Uh-huh. Uh, and I have written books now, but he said, write a book. And um, so I did a lot of videos based on, uh, especially this book, uh, a lot on the Pakistan intelligence network in Afghanistan uh-huh. and, and so forth. So BCCI and all that stuff. But I know we're going to talk about a different book today. So let's pivot to that, Tommy. I don't want to. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Uh, we're ta- for everybody listening, we're talking about The War Conspiracy, which uh, I will put in the description. As always, it's on it's on Audible if you're like me and you can't focus and you got to have somebody read it to you. So I kind of want to, uh, Mr. Scott, ask you about how do you think this, the war conspiracy plays into modern day? And for future listeners, today is Wednesday, July 27th, 2022, about the sort, a sort of the quote unquote deep state, the hidden hand, the nexus between business, banking, intelligence. And as you said, I believe towards the, the closing uh, remarks of your book, that America will decline if we continue these these uh unde- undemocratic unvoted for foreign wars of aggression in the 20 plus years since your book has come out how do you see that did do you still believe that that stands uh yes well um, th- this is of course a very big question yeah uh, let me just clarify a bit about the book. What came out in 2008 oh, was a reissue, <clears throat> but it was a reissue of a book that I finished in 1970, and they had, a by contract, two years to publish it, and they took two years minus a week, and it came out in 1972, which, by coincidence was the week of the break-in at the Watergate, uh, <laughs> the Democratic National Committee. And to my amazement, there were five people who had been arrested. And one of them, Frank Sturgis, had actually been in my book at a certain point till the, <laughs> the, the publishers told me to take it out because I had a section in about the Kennedy assassination. And they said, make that a separate book. So I did. And Frank Sturgis went into that book instead. Um, I wasn't, the, the actual term war conspiracy I was not totally happy with, and I said so, and it's it's there in the preface that this is more than a conspiracy. 
And in retrospect, I now see quite clearly that uh, we have to go right back to the Korean War and the concern of the uh, top planners in the U.S. government that uh, America was only going to avoid lapsing back into the kind of recession depression that was the curse of the 30s if it could mobilize its economy and that the only way they could mobilize it was to mobilize it for what they called defense. Well, what is defense is also offense. Uh, and we have been living with... Uh, uh, a, a politics which is pretty securely dominated by the determination of both parties to keep us with a high defense budget. This is not a conspiracy, that's just a consensus. And the, the, we got a very clear illustration of the power of that when uh, President Trump in 1917, he said, our, he, he, he signed on, he said our defense budget isn't big enough. He radically increased the defense budget. But when it, that was 2017 was the year they, they said that was the do-nothing Congress. You know, they, they, they couldn't pass any laws and they tried to repeal the the Obamacare, and they couldn't even do that. So all through the media, they were talking about this Congress that can do nothing, forgetting about the defense budget. And what happened to Trump's inflated defense budget when it got to the Senate, they increased it over and above that. Uh, and in committee, I think the vote was 82 to 9. So there was no question at all that, that uh, if you were for a bigger budget, most people felt obliged by their, their uh, funding and so on to go along with that. That is a root fact about uh, our political economy since World War II. And that has led to certain things within it, uh, which, uh, you know, for example, we fight a war, and then after the war, what's going to happen to the budget then? It's going to go down. But uh, I would say that the threat of a decline in budget has been met by uh, extraordinary events. Uh, John F. Kennedy, for example, in uh, 1963, in 61, he had put 8,000 troops into Vietnam in what he defined as a training role. It didn't play out that way on the ground. The, uh, the, uh, the, these little tiny planes that they, uh, we supplied to Vietnam, they put a Vietnamese in the front seat and the trainer was in the back, but the trainer had the controls and he <laughs> would use them. And then in 1963, Kennedy actually approved, this is still disputed, but there is absolutely no question of it, we have the documents, that he approved a plan for the 
essential withdrawal of the bulk of US troops from Vietnam by 1965, with an initial withdrawal of a thousand troops by the end of 1963. Well, that was announced on November 20th, 1963. Oh, God. And on November 22nd, Kennedy was shot. And on November 26th, four days later, oh, first of all, Johnson met the world and he's remembered for a speech in which he said, let us continue. Well, uh, he continued. He didn't continue with the withdrawal plan. He continued with the war. And on November 26, 1963, he put through a national security action memorandum which was almost written in code. You had to know the context to understand it. But what it did, in effect, was nullify the decision to get a 1,000 troops out by the end of 63. And uh, <laughs> so I call um, what happened on November 22nd, that's what I call a, a structural deep event. It's a deep event because things happen there that we still don't understand. And, you know, new books come out every, and new movies, this, even this year, uh, about it still trying to understand what happened then. And we have had uh, and others, a structural deep event is a deep event which changes the history of our country. And certainly the decision to go full force Johnson, he ran an election campaign attacking, uh, who was it, um, Goldwater as a hawk. But at the same time that he was saying that we are not going north and we are not going south, referring to Vietnam, he was in fact planning to do just that in both directions, and the plans were implemented in early 65. Well, that was a, a structural deep event, and we've had, uh, I would say, four of them, at least, with the next one being Watergate. Well, what did Watergate have to do with any war? Nixon was actually, again, planning to get out of Vietnam. And I think this concerned a lot of people. And so we had another event, which we still, you know, I think there's a, a sort of sense in the media that Watergate was investigated and solved and the outcome was that Nixon resigned. Well, there were tens of thousands of pages discussing all kinds of aspects of Watergate, but they were almost all post-break-in to deal with the cover-up. The actual question of who authorized the break-in and why is as much a mystery today as, as it was at the beginning. And you can tell because, uh, again, there have been a, we just said 50th anniversary and we have a flood of new books 
and they're they're quite good books and they have some new information in them but they don't add up to a consensus at all there are some people who think that uh, nixon authorized the break-in as part of his bid for total control of the government and there are other books who say no the break-in was precisely organized to weaken nixon uh, maybe not push him out, but get him under control. And many uh, many books say that it was the CIA that were ultimately, we, we could talk more about that. And then we had 9-11. And 9-11 uh, was a, uh, well, it was a structural deep event. And uh, there is a conspiracy theory about 9-11, which says that 19 Arabs did it. That's a conspiracy theory which I reject, and <laughs> I don't want to go into the details here, but uh, there are other conspiracy theories which I would give much more credit to, and I attach a great deal of importance that for the first time on 9-11, I'm talking now about September the 11th, 2001, a secret, very highly secret, still unknown plans for continuity of government. That's a term of art, continuity of government, C-O-G. For the first time in U.S. history, these secret plans were implemented at 10 o'clock in the morning on September the 11th, 2001. Now, the last event that I don't want to talk about, it's a deep event, and I think it's a structural deep event, is January the 6th. And I will, all I'll mention about it is that a continuity of government was implemented again on January the 6th, 2021. And you're not going to read much about that in the newspapers, but I do have a book here, a very good book. It says category, or this is not, we're not being videotaped, right? Oh, no, Where we are. are. We? Yeah, we, 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 well, are. we are. Well, then yeah. people yeah. should Yeah, I alone can book. fix it. I alone can fix it. I think it's on, uh, uh, let's see what page it is, um, page 481. Uh, perhaps I should quote it because uh, there may be some people who are dubious that it was implemented on that day. But Carol Lennig, she's very good journalist, very good, says that Fort McNair, Fort McNair is the uh, COG designated post for the relocation of Congress. And we know that because they had a dress rehearsal back in 2005, and it was in the newspapers. That day, all of Congress went to Fort McNair, which is just on the edge of Washington. It's a little on a point that juts out into the Potomac. Um, So I'll read the sentence. At Fort McNair, meanwhile, about 150 National Guard members secured the entrances to the base, which is being treated as a continuity of government site since the congressional leaders were there. They were getting the extra protection typically provided when the country was under attack. And that, of course, is what continuity of government is all about, to secure continuity of government originally is that even if you have an atom bomb drop on Washington, you had to have a plan. So you have plans to move people to, to other places. 
Well, uh, so you had continuity of government on the 9-11, uh, you had it on January 6th. And what I have realized since, and that's what I talk about in the back of this book, is that uh, I was talking about the, the similarities between 9-11 and what I often call 11-22, which is November 22nd, uh, 1963. And one of the key similarities, in fact, it's my core similarity, is the centrality of uh, the continuity of government network. There were what is sometimes, and this is not my term, but the Pentagon's term, the doomsday network, the special communications network that is implemented on when you have continuity of government. And it played a central role in uh, November 22nd, 1963. How do I know that? Well, the, the, the part of that network which I'm uh, focusing on is something called the White House Communications Agency, which uh, paradoxically was actually created by Kennedy, created in the sense that he took an earlier uh, network and reconstituted it. Uh, he, he did a, a number of major changes to continuity of government institutions, and, uh, and more than one of them is involved in 1963. But if I can just talk about the uh, White House Communications Agency, they have a website. It's still there to, um, uh, today. It doesn't say what it said in 1963. Sorry, excuse me. <laughs> in 2015, when I wrote uh, this little book, again, Dallas 63, where I talk about the importance of continuity of government. And I'm just going to quote from that. Um, this is this, uh, the White, the WHCA, the White House Communications Agency, actually reports to this day on its website that the agency was, and this is a quote, a key player in documenting the assassination of President Kennedy. They were a key player. Well, the people who were trying to document what happened in the assassination back then was the poor benighted Warren Commission, uh, which uh, didn't do a very good job because they didn't get key documents. And among other things, they didn't get a they didn't get a single sentence from the White House Communications Agency, and this is very important because for those of you who have studied the Kennedy assassination, it's vital to know what exactly was happening in Dealey Plaza as the president's car moved into Dealey Plaza, and the. Uh, the Warren Commission was given transcripts of three tapes. The, the, the Dallas police had two separate communication systems. So there's police state number one, police state number two. The Dallas sheriffs were there too, and they had and their tape was given to the uh, to the Warren Commission. But what about the White House communication agency? There were Secret Service agencies in the the um, the lead cards, part of the procession of cars through. There were secret agencies in the plaza 
waiting. They were all in communication with each other. And apparently that was documented by the WHCA and was a key, but it wasn't given to the word condition. So that makes it definitely a structural deep event in which uh, certain key events are being uh, are being uh, concealed. Now, you may want to ask questions here, but I have one more deep structural deep event to talk about, and that's Watergate. And I have uh, talked about, I, I can't remember if I did, you've, you've looked at this book more recently than I have. Do I mention Watergate and continuity of government? You do, and I believe with N, the NSAMs, the National Security uh something well, that would be that would be the kennedy assassination. Uh, okay i i do know that you mentioned it in terms of george i don't remember uh i remember gulf of tonka and i remember the kennedy assassination i remember 9-11 in the update the 2008 update uh, and, the, and then what i thought was so interesting about the structurally deep events that i hadn't really thought about it was they were kind of clearing the roadblocks away for some really long wars the kennedy yes. assassination cleared the way for the vietnam I yes. don't remember you saying at the other bookend, which was Watergate, but I, but it's been a while since I read the book. All right, but, but follow through with your thought. Obviously, yeah. uh, uh, 9-11 was a prelude uh, to, ostensibly to the war in Afghanistan and the war in Iraq, but it was worse than that. It was GWOT, the Global War on Terror. And the United States now mobilized for the first time to have uh, commands all over the world. They had an AFRICOM a, a, a command, a command for U.S. forces in Africa, uh, a SOUTHCOM for South America. Uh, a not small part of it was a NORTHCOM. We have a military command now for North America, and we... If all else fails in the control of this country, the U.S. Army is planning and positioned to occupy and run this country in Canada. Uh, so, yes, it was uh, big war plans on a, implemented on a conditional level, not an actual level, uh, by thing. Now, Watergate is a bit different in this thing because it, Watergate was a case not where we were going into a war, but rather like Kennedy in 63, you had a president who was planning to get out of a war. And uh, what I have to say about the, the doomsday network with Watergate is quite complicated, so I'm not going to start that until we've had a chance to talk on a more general way about how I would say, by the way, this uh, continuity of government planning also goes back to the 1950s. And on the surface, it looks like a very rational thing to do. Once the Soviet Union had an atomic weapon, there was indeed the possibility that if you couldn't stop it, it would, it might drop it on Washington. So you had to, you had to have plans. I, I grant, grant you that. But those plans and the way Eisenhower set it up, um, Eisenhower was not a friend of big government, really. He, uh, he thought that, uh, that America was best handled by corporations. And from the very beginning, continuity of government planning has always been 
something that has uh, people in government doing the planning and also people outside of government doing the planning. And uh, that uh, Eisenhower incorporated the media, the big media, CBS, the, was it Russ Salant, I think it was the head of CBS at the time. He became part of the apparatus for the planning and if necessary, implementation, though that was not going to happen for another 40 years. But the but uh, private corporations were in there to balance uh, government people as well. And that, so we have had, uh, we've had this apparatus around, you know, some a semi-structural deep event was Iran-Contra. Uh, because there was a lot of planning, very intensive planning in the 1980s to intensify COG, uh, uh, the, 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 the apparatus, the doomsday network. They put eight or nine billion dollars into the doomsday network in the 80s. And uh, it, it, it attracted the attention of a journalist in 1986, I think, 85, you know, it was 86, in the Miami Herald. And he said, essentially, this is planning for a secret government because the plans include, this is his phrase, suspension of the Constitution. Mm -hmm. Oliver North was the planning officer uh, for Iran-Contra, and he was also the planning officer uh, for these uh, COG uh, plans, and he actually used the secret network. He had to get arms, uh, U U.S. arms to uh, Israel, which would then, uh, so sorry, to Iran. And it's because Iran was an enemy, you couldn't use the ordinary government to do this. They, they needed to bring in uh, U.S. forces in Portugal, but the U.S. ambassador couldn't know that because it was a secret operation. He couldn't know, so North used the COG network. Well, there was a question. They were there were hearings. I was there actually. That was the six months I spent in Washington because I was working on drugs and contras for Senator Kerry in a think tank. And uh, I will certainly never forget when uh, a congressman from Texas asked uh, Oliver North, who was uh, under oath there in the committee room, under the, the, the special select committee to investigate around country, he said, is it true that you have been... Uh, uh, it creating, I, I wish I could quote it exactly, but the effect was, uh, have you been involved in creating plans for the suspension of the American Constitution? And that could have had a yes answer or a no answer, but it didn't get any answer at all because the, the, the uh, chairman of the hearing, who was a Democrat, by the way, and a liberal Democrat, very, 
very opposed from north. He banged his gavel and he said, we can't talk about that here. We can't talk about <laughs> was it. That in, in way, in, was in that Inouye? Yeah. It in, was in Senator Inouye yeah. from yeah. Hawaii, right. <laughs> no one stopped them. <laughs> and well, first of all, it was the, the lawyer. Uh, north was there with the lawyer. The first intervention by the lawyer said, Mr. Mr. Chairman, Mr. Chairman, <laughs> the chairman got the cue. We can't talk about that. We would have to go into see um, executive session, which means secret session. And there's no, to this day, we do not know if there was a secret session that talked about plans for the suspension of the Constitution. I suspect there weren't, but I don't know. I do know that uh, all of this uh, immediate flap. Oh, and I'll add one more thing. Here we're talking about plans for suspension of the Constitution. Would you not consider that was news? What happened was the Washington, the New York Times, which is the newspaper of record, it was printing every word that was said in the hearings, including the exact words that I've been approximating to in this talk. But they printed them on page 23. What was on page one about there being a plan to suspend the Constitution? Not a word. Remember that the media are in on the planning of COG. Yep. And the same thing happened. Uh, we know from the 9-11 uh, Commission report, there's not a shadow of a doubt, it was implemented on 9-11. But... And uh, I, I, you know, I haven't done the research on this recently, but I, to give you an idea of how secret this still is, the COG is mentioned twice in the 9-11 uh, Commission report. It's mentioned in the narrative that it was implemented in the morning. I think they got the time wrong, but they got it ballpark, right? And then there's a footnote. It's quite a long footnote in which they say, uh, because uh, continuity of government was implemented on that day, the chairman and the vice chairman and the executive director of the commission were allowed to see files from that day, meaning by, by subtraction that the 9-11 commission per se, which was about a dozen people, they didn't get to see these plans, which were implemented and were so secret that they weren't allowed to see them. And about, uh, I'm jumping forward a bit, but um, I tried with an ex-congressman, the two of us tried to mount a national campaign to say, if we have plans that are so secret that, they, uh, that the commission wasn't allowed to see them, Congress should uh, review them. And uh, this goes with, by the way, with the fact that a, a, an emergency was declared, uh, uh, two emergencies actually, right after 9-11. It took about 10 days. And a great deal has happened, which I'm not going to go into. But there's a National Emergencies Act, which was a byproduct of Watergate, because it turned out that... Uh, 
the America had been in an emergency ever since the Korean War, which was still in place in the 1970s, and the Attorney General was not aware of this. And so uh, Congress decided we should do something about this, and they passed, they tried to make a more reasonable procedure, which is if you have a national declare an emergency, it will only last a year unless you renew it publicly. And not only that, but Congress has a responsibility to review it uh, within six months and either pass on it or suspend it. Well, part of that has been going on ever since 19, uh, excuse me, 2001. Every president, including President Biden, has renewed that state of emergency. But Congress, which is supposed to review it within six months, has never done this. Never, not once. And this is a, in the statute. So this congressman, ex-congressman, and I, we tried to get a little campaign going with people who were studying 9-11. They were a little network of people, maybe 0.01% of the American public. I tried to get a campaign going to have Congress do this. And it didn't go anywhere. But I was told that one person was told by their congressman that that requirement was suspended by COG, by Continuity of Government. And, circular, circular yes, logic. Yes, right. And I'll just one, mention one more thing. It was, the year was, I think, 2007. Uh, George Herbert W. Bush announced that they had added some new provisions to Continuity of Government. Well, there's a, a committee in Congress which has oversight to uh, emergency government and they asked to see these provisions and they told they couldn't see them. They didn't have the clearance. So they requested formally in a letter signed by the chairman of the committee and the committee was turned down. So where we are today in this country, I, I don't want to make too much out of it because it sounds scarier than it actually is. But there is something that has been characterized as suspension of the constitution. And uh, the public isn't allowed to know about it. The 9-11 Commission, except for three people who were very clued in to covering up what really happened on 9-11, uh, they were the only three who were allowed to see it. And the Congressional Committee that has this general area not allowed to see it. So I would say, in a sense, this is not a normal constitutional government now, if above it is a higher set of provisions, which are not used all the time, but are definitely used in structural deep events, came into play on, on November 22nd, 1963, on June, I think it's 21st or 22nd of 1972, uh, it was in play then, it was in play on uh, and implemented, first time ever actually implemented on, uh, no, on September the 11th, 2001, and implemented for a second time, though you don't read about it. There was a report on that uh, briefly uh, 
on uh, on the actual day, and then it was essentially forgotten about until Clara Lenny's book, which came out a year and a half later, January the 6th. Okay, that's a very long spiel, <laughs> but I wanted to get all of those structural deep events. But my book talks about two of them, but it's really, it's not just two, it's four. And uh, my book was right, I think, to say that there are, I listed a great many by, I think, 13, and I've thought of more since similarities between November 22nd, 63, and September 11th, uh, 2001. Uh, so I'll, I'll let you guys talk a bit now. That was incredible i think george webb might be the only other person that can sit here and just drop facts for three quarters of an hour that was incredible i couldn't do that george well i I would just want to know uh, how dick cheney found all the time to rewrite all those cog provisions with scooter libby and still play the organ like lon cheney late at night in the white house <laughs> but uh i think dick cheney raven rock uh, is the book that gives him a lot of the credit yeah. for uh, rewriting yeah. a lot of the COG, and then that's of course, true. Luke... You mentioned there were two people. I didn't mention that, but 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 you brought it up, and now I am. That uh, there was a uh, Reagan when he was elected it took him a year, but he set up a secret committee to intensify, revise, and intensify the COG rules. It's a little odd historically because this is to deal with an atomic attack. But I think by the 1980s, most people thought that we were much less likely to suffer an atomic attack. We had SALT agreements. Uh, we had actually signed strategic arms limitation agreements with the Soviet Union. But he set up this committee, and in like Eisenhower, it had private people and public people. Yeah, and and uh, at the time, Cheney was a congressman, so you might say he was a public person. But the former Secretary of Defense under uh, Nixon, no, sorry, under Ford, uh, and he became, oh, I have said, he was the Secretary of Defense on 2001. Help me because I'm 93. Oh, oh I'm sorry, Rumsfeld. Yeah. Rumsfeld. Yeah. Rumsfeld and Cheney were both on this committee to revise COG. Rumsfeld was not in the government. He was secretary of a big pharmaceutical corporation. And by the <laughs> 90s, uh, Cheney was no longer a congressman. He was uh, the chairman of Halliburton, CEO of Halliburton, oh, yeah. which is big, big oil. So you had yeah. big pharma and big oil in on the KBR. planet. And then it was on um, 2001, normally COG is implemented by the president, but it wasn't implemented by the president because the president was in Tampa, Florida, lecturing, reading a, a, a story to school children about a donkey. So it was implemented by the Secretary of Defense Rumsfeld and by the vice president, who has no authority to do this at all, but he did it, Cheney in the absence of the president, the two people been planning it for 20 years, implemented it on uh, 
2001, and they got what they really wanted, yet they wanted a war in Afghanistan. That was small potatoes. They really wanted the war in Iraq. And the, both of them had been a part of something called the... the uh, <clears throat> Project for a New American Century. Thank you very much. You the Project for a New American Century, which says we need to commit to a much more forward strategy in places like Asia, which of course is um, where at that time, Cheney said this himself, he thought that the biggest undeveloped oil reserves left in the world were in Central Asia. And uh, they, the, the, the big oil companies, the, the Halliburton helped Chevron and Exxon actually develop oil refineries in Kazakhstan, but they, they were just sitting in Kazakhstan with no U.S. troops anywhere near. And any time that uh, the uh, Kazakhs wanted to nationalize them or Russia wanted to move in and take them, America would have nothing, no defense until we got the global war on terror and we put troops into Afghanistan, we put troops into Iraq, and now the Chevron and Exxon could feel secure that their very major investment, millions and millions of dollars, were now defended for the first time. So this is, this is again, not just about maintaining the domestic economy, it's securing U.S. assets abroad, the biggest of which by far are petroleum assets all over the world. And their troop, don't worry, you've got investments in Guinea, you've got AFRICOM there that will be able to defend them if anyone ever thinks of nationalizing them. George. Uh, Tommy, I'm just going to ask one question. I have to leave it for, unfortunately, but uh, I want to come back, Doctor, uh, uh, Mr. Scott, because it's Peter. It's, yeah, we're all friends. Peter. Okay. Um, so I just wanted to throw one structural event at you, potentially structurally deep, which is coronavirus, and ah. and the big bomb that goes off in my mind, the bio bomb that goes off in my mind. It's a little bit about a month before the official narrative, but a lot of the State Department people say that's it when the initial cluster occurred. And that's this Wuhan military games that happened in 2019, where you had 100 nations, 10,000 athletes all getting sick, all getting on planes, all going back to their home countries. And then all of a sudden, the bomb seems to have gone off. Thoughts yeah. You know, uh, I have uh, my to-do list is to check out COVID. Uh, and all I'll say about it is, uh, by the way, I'm not, I'm saying this not in a spirit of attacking what was done, just in the spirit of wanting to know what happened. Uh, yes, the, I think that uh, COVID should be looked at with this kind of uh, scope of investigation. I haven't Absolutely. done that. So, uh, and George, sounds like you have. So he, maybe you want to say a bit more in your last. Peter, well, I'll, send you, I'll, send you his, I'll send you his Twitter. If you want a nonstop, you can go back two years. If you want his on the ground reporting at the sites, he has been chasing down the fifth structural reform of COVID. George. Yeah, um, I'll just leave it at that. 
this has been a tremendous honor for me. Um, and I, I'm a big fan of your books. I don't think I could possibly read all your books, but um, I've tried. And uh, I want to come back if it's possible um, and ask some more questions. Yeah. Uh, because you. But you're are... going to embarrass me if you ask about COVID because there'll be well, good questions and no answers. Well, I just I just think. But it's it's very... a, I, 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 I am with you to the extent that it has occurred to me that uh, the whole COVID thing needs to be looked at, especially because there was a very significant dissent among scientists. And the way the media have treated the dissenters, there was a, you might call a majority and a minority. There was a kind of two-party system among scientists. But there was the great Barrington statement by very eminent scientists that really challenged mm -hmm. the assumptions of Fauci. And it didn't get equal time in the media. These people are always called outliers, which is, I think, a, a synonym for conspiracy theorist or something. And uh, no, they were, there was a serious division. I personally went to a dinner where there was, it was for someone else, but one of the guests was a virologist. And he said, they're going about this all the wrong way. and They're developing the vaccines the wrong way. And I happen to know he was a colleague of mine at the university, not a kook who disagreed with what the government and the way the media has treated the disagreement is a symptom of something, you know, that the media has decided to go with one version of facts and suppress, not, not criticize the other, suppress the other. Yeah. And, you know, every time I pick up a Peter Dale Scott book and now the first time talking to you, I always come away with one thing where I go, oh my gosh that changes how I view the world. And that happened again today when you mentioned January 6th and COG. Tommy's a COG expert at his young oh, age. Uh -huh. uh, so, uh, so I'll let him talk about it more, but how okay. interesting that it throws over to Liz Cheney. Yeah. You know, she's, she takes, she's in the basement down there in the Longworth building and she's picking up the organ keys right where Dick Cheney left off. It seems like <laughs> with, with, with this, with this. Whole I, thing. I, I, I don't dare bring genealogy into this, but uh, <laughs> let me, I, I will say one more thing about, <clears throat> I have a new source, recent one for uh, COG on January the 6th. <laughs> It's a Newsweek article of January the 3rd, three days before January 6th. It says, and it, it's very odd, it's by William Arkin, who's a, a very good I've, journalist. I've interviewed him several times. And do you, But do you know about this Newsweek article? It was in Newsweek, three days before, mm -hmm. that Jeffrey Rosen, who was the acting uh, uh, attorney general after Bill Barr withdrew in disgust, um, he convened a planning session for COG to deal with January 6th, and he mobilized. It's a very interesting article. I learned a lot of that. We have all the essentially he he assembled under the aegis of the FBI all the sort of kinds of SWAT teams that the U.S. government has, and there are quite a lot of them. He has assembled them all as part of continuity of government planning. Well, the, the attorney general is not, as far as I know, empowered to do this. He said that he was ordered to do it. 
I don't think Trump ordered him to do it. Uh, I would maybe there is a, some kind of COG panel that involves the media to this day that they could have ordered him to do it. I do think there was a, a Trump plot on January 6th, and I think there was a very efficient counterplot, which was let these guys go in, occupy the Capitol, do damage get it all caught on TV and we had an immense amount of TV, you know, it was very good for the media because oh, it yeah. was sensational, sensational media, nothing like this had ever happened in the capital, nothing like this had ever happened in American history before. And uh, there was uh, Jeffrey Rosen planning, if it had got out of hand, if they had actually tried to hang Mike Pence. So I don't think that was anybody's plan to actually hang him because that's murder and somebody would have been accused of murder. But if it had got out of hand, there were all these forces that had been assembled three days before. And they were the first forces when they finally did go in very belatedly, I think belatedly by plan, the first to go in were the forces assembled by the FBI. Will Arkin actually talks about that in uh, his book on that day about 9-11 and towards the end of it, he ties in January 6th and you know, he's former army intelligence. And he I said, didn't know this. It's, it's uh, great talking to you, Tom. I did uh, a book. There's a book now that I missed. Oh, well, it's called on that day about 9-11. But what the year very, did it come out? Uh, 2021. It came out last fall. And um, See, I, I haven't researched that for two oh, decades. <laughs> it, oh, it, 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 it's a it's a great book, but towards the end of it, and he, I think he said it on my podcast about it. He has it on on Good Word that um that I believe elements of Delta Force were present at the Capitol on January sixth before anything even went down. So that would go along with the idea of. Yeah, and it's what he said. It's what the same William Arkin says in Newsweek on January the third that, that people elements of JSOC, the joint yes. uh, elements of JSOC were there, were, were blended into this domestic yeah. response force. And yeah, we I'd, I'd done a lot of uh, trips down to Fort Bragg and talked about four psychological ops. So there's a psychological operation involved too. So. Yeah, I was at the barricades on January 6th, and I always remember January 3rd because that's the day 60 Minutes did a hit piece on me. <laughs> but uh, I have to go to another thing. But ah, George is Doctor, we'll, we'll come back. We'll, we'll, we'll do another. That was tantalizing. They did a number on you. Oh, they oh, don't yeah. like, they don't, they don't like, do, you should do your research, uh, Peter, on, on George. They don't, uh, they don't oh, like Oh, boy, it I, I feel like hanging up and doing exactly that. But I, uh, I, well, see you I'll then. wait till the end of the show where maybe this is the end of the show. <laughs> no, 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 no. You guys keep going because. Well, no, I think, well, I think maybe, maybe well, we could have a part well, two when you come back. Yeah, let's, okay. uh, I think we should, I think we should let this be the natural end and we'll, you can do your research. But I want to say, in closing, the same Will Arkin also said in the book on that day, uh, on the evening of 9-11, there was only one plane and not Air Force One. There was one other plane and it's still only the tail numbers known, but it flew from where Delta Force was headquartered to D.C. And Will Arkin's uh, hypothesis is that the fog of war 
they sent in Delta Force just in case even the Secret Service was compromised if they needed to go in and get the president. So he has that sort of Delta Force's president at these, as you say, these deep structural events. Yeah, there was a plane actually caught by CNN on camera over the White House. That was the doomsday plane. The the Delta Force one, I believe, was like a small black Cessna, very tiny. Uh, And there's it's just the tail number. We actually talk we talk about it in the episode I have with them. They don't know what it is, but it took off from where Delta Force's headquarters went to D.C. And I guess they decided it was all good. And the same plane went back that night. But JSOC there on 9-11, JSOC there on January 6th, the plot thickens. But right. George has to go. And Mr. Scott, I think we should maybe, or Peter, maybe let this be the, the natural end of the episode and we'll have to do a part two. Yeah, but I, I, I mean, I've got to do some research into George Webb. You do, you do. Yeah. And, and if it's good research, we'll have a part two. And if it's not, I suppose this is one and done. But I think we'll have a part two. I'll just say this. Remember, I had a direct conversation with CNN saying she's not contagious. She's just vaccinated. So just remember that. So <laughs> we'll, we'll leave it right there. Thank you, guys. Two, two uh, legends, George Webb, Peter Dale Scott. All the links to everything in will be in the description, as always. Mr. Scott. I will actually, I'll link us all in an email. We can all chat, set up a part two, and you need to do your research on Mr. George Webb. I think you'll be uh, pleasantly delighted. Okay. Thank you you very much. Thank Thank you you so much, everybody. Thanks for listening.